Hello, and welcome back to the Clown Hospital Podcast, the mental health podcast that is not afraid to admit that capitalism is the problem. I am Sadie, <laughs> and here with me today is my friend Jack to talk about psych units and why they suck and that there be better things. Hello, how are you? I'm doing pretty all right. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. Hell yeah. And excited in both the nervous and positive sense of yeah. the word. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's going to be good. Your notes are great. So before we get into the topic, what? who are you? Like, why, why are you the one to talk to you about this? Yeah, so my perspective is based on experiences I've had of four psych unit stays and one eating disorder stay and I'm diagnosed bipolar one with psychosis as well as post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety depression classic you know combo (laughs) and so my experiences in psych units began in 2018 in about the beginning of September, I think September 1st was my first psych stay. It was following a really traumatic experience and I kind of spiraled into psychosis and then my family kind of gathered around me and was like, you have to, you have to go. It certainly should have been a 302, but at the last moment I was able to like get myself together enough to sign a 201. There you go. Yeah. Cool. And then before we dive into it even more of your your history and then our perspectives, yeah, like the there is a question like when we were doing like the the planning of this is like what is like the appropriate language. I tend to just use psych ward, and you know there are even uh, more stigmatizing <laughs> words you could use, and and you made a point that like there are definitely people who like feel like that, like that is like stigmatizing language and, and don't like it. And that is fair. So like this question of like, what is like the, the language to use for me? It's like, I, if like someone, if like the question is, is like for whose comfort is this for? If it's like for someone who like has this experience and like finds that language like tr- triggering or stigmatizing or whatever i i am like totally fine to not use that language um but if it's like someone who is like very out of touch with those experiences and just like i feel like there is like two or like like there's like you don't want to hear a term or look at a thing because it's like triggering because it's like tied to your experiences or you don't want to look at a thing just because it's uncomfortable to look at. Maybe like you have some privilege and it and looking at this thing like exposes that privilege. And so like, I like when my language has teeth, when it like pushes discomfort on people who like, don't have that experience. Um, but, yeah, like, I'm totally cool to, like, uh, 
spruce up the language a little bit uh, if people are like uncomfortable to it. Yeah, uh, I definitely think if the person who had come to me and said this was like out of touch yeah. and had not experienced psych units or behavioral health units or however you'd like to term them, then I probably would have been like, you know what? I'm the one that's you know yeah, mad exactly. i'm the one that's like experiencing this and and i do like find some i don't know if it's like perverse comfort but like the term psych ward is like something that like it just i'm like kind of like lean into it to a certain degree but then like when somebody is like bothered by the term because they feel that it's been used to stigmatize them personally i'm yeah. like you know i i'm behind you and you know my friend who i met in treatment who like gave me kind of the talk about these terms you know she had been experiencing being locked in units from the time she was like 13 and so you know I think that the trauma was kind of more coming from like having to return to middle school and someone saying oh you were in the psych ward you're this and you're that and and I think that, you know, I, I have to give kind of grace for the fact that, like, I did not experience any of this until I was 26 yes, years old. Like, yeah. the first time I went into a facility of any kind, I was 26 years old. So it's, like, you know, kind of very different because, like, who's going to yes. bully me I'm not in middle school? Yes. Like, being a ch- – like, oh my, what was – I was watching or reading something – Oh, I was watching Reservation Dogs, and there's an episode that was, like, partially based in, like, one of those, like, boarding schools where, they, like, the settlers, like, just abused the shit out of, like, Native children. And it, I just, like, was watching that and was, like, being a child is so fucking horrifying because you have, like, no... You have so Agent. little control over, like, the environment you're within. And, like, yeah, and that makes so much sense, like... To be 13 and like to be in this like like to be a child is to be like especially vulnerable and like yeah i i can see how someone who has that like earlier experience would have more adversity to the phrase than two people who uh were both like hospitalized for the first time uh in their 20s uh because i was i was 29 um in my first time uh i think part of me for me like reclaiming language which i definitely do like part of it is like this like badge of honor thing like totally like i use the word like like the f slur a lot and right um, describe myself and and I kind of, and part of the reason, like I like I touched on before, part of the reason I like it is because, like, when you like call yourself the F slur in front of a straight person, they do not know what to do, and I just think it's fun yeah to make them squirm a little bit. But also, right. is like sometimes when I do that, people then like get a little confused and think that it's okay for them to say it. And then the thing I say is that like I have earned the right. To say the F slur like totally. I fucking earned it and I also feel like you know I have also you know to like um, a reasonable point like earned the right to like talk about my experiences in the way I want to and like they're you know right. it is important to be 
aware of how that's affecting other people. Um, but it's like, you know, to be like, I don't know, like I survived the, like the loony bin and like, it feels like, you know, yeah, totally. Like, you know, like, like in the one unit I was on, we, we, there was a lot of people who from like New York and they called it the funny farm because that yeah. was like term for Bellevue back in the day. Um, which was a facility in New York for a long time. Um, and, yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> that like, cause that language like creates this picture of like, here is like this, like part of society that we barely talk about that. Like you only go if you're like great, like whatever, like <laughs> ableist slurs you want to use. And yeah. like, I don't know. It is definitely like, to some extent like a mark of pride of like i survived this like super yeah. dehumanizing super alienating and like and and sometimes like super like traumatizing as fuck experience so yeah i don't know that that's my take on it all but yeah totally cool so do you want to get more in on the process of sure getting into uh psych units because it's it's fucking awful yeah yeah it's definitely fucking awful i mean sometimes you spend hours and hours or days in an emergency room waiting for a room yeah so i've been both 201 which is voluntary and 302 which is involuntary i've even been 303 and 304, <laughs> which most people have never even heard of. Yeah, Do what you know that? those? No. Okay, so th- t- 302 is a certain amount of time that you are involuntarily uh, yeah. hospitalized. Um, if you do anything that makes them extend that while you are in the 302, that becomes a 303 and each hearing. So like a 302, technically a hearing occurred, um, but you weren't probably there because you were so out of it or for whatever reason. Um, so for my, in my experience, um, I just showed up at the hospital and I knew I was 302. But when I was 303, they were like, we're going to have a court hearing. So they brought me into an office and had a phone call and there's like all these doctors in the room and they call into a court and they discuss your mental health in court. Like you're in court, but you're in the psych unit and they discuss you and you are able to speak. But like, I was so unable to speak at the time that I was 303 that I literally just did like mouth noises, like yeah. instead of speaking because I was just very, very deep in psychosis. And so I said like maybe a sentence at the end. And then they were like, okay, we determined that you need to stay for another 20 days or 90 days or something like that. I think they gave me 20 days with the 303 and then 90 days with the 304, which they were like, at that point I had been there a month already. And they were like, your time for your 303 is about to run out. So we have to renew it because you still need care, but you're about to be discharged. So you will be discharged with X number of days left over in which you have to attend your psych appointments, 
attend your therapy appointments, get an ICM, and take mandatory injections of an antipsychotic. And that was the only way in which I was released. Jesus fucking Christ. That all sounds so awful. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Like, like, even like, like you, you said, you said the number 90 at some point, but even 20 days is just like a really rough amount of time to be in there. Yeah. And I mean, the unit that I was on for a month, there were people who were there the whole time I was there and had been there for a month or two prior to me being there. There was someone who had been there for six months. Um, There were people who were there so long they had to like lobby to be allowed to have haircuts. And the one person, the saddest story there was there was this person who I had a pair of glasses because I like didn't have contacts or whatever. And this per and I'm very poor vision. Like if my hand is this far away from my face, it's not clear. Um, that's not going to translate to the podcast, but <laughs> you can yeah. see it. Um, like there, you know, like five inches from my face and nothing's clear. And uh, this person tried on my glasses at one point and they'd been there for five or six months and they were like, I can see clearly. And I was like, you've been going around this unit for five months with utterly horrible poor vision. And then when I left, like I had several pairs of glasses at home. I tried to leave that person my glasses and they wouldn't let me because they said, oh, COVID, this or that. Like, you're not there. You're not related to this person. You can't give them things. And like, they just wouldn't let me leave the person my glasses. And like, their only hope of getting out was finding a a group home. So like, that's one of the reasons they were still there is because they hadn't found a group home yet. Because like this person had previously been unhoused. And so, like, these units, like, yeah, they're just housing people, you know, for for long periods of time. Um, and you have, like, the people that come in for four days or a weekend, um, but there are patients there who have been there much, much longer. I, uh, like, that glasses story, like, really highlights like the neglect and you're not even able to like look out for someone else like like they're more worried like they're worried about like fucking you change your mind and like fucking like sue them over a pair of glasses or whatever the fuck like Yeah, like, they're cheap glasses from Zenny. Like, I do not care. I had my mom bring me a second pair. Like, it was, you know what I mean? But having, like, I know that, like, so, so I didn't have my glasses for the first, like, day or two that I was there. And I was, like, wigging out. Like, I didn't feel safe. I was pocketing butter knives at lunch. And, like, every meal, because I had, like, a pair of leggings with little, like, side pockets that were hardly noticeable. And I was, like, pocketing butter knives because I didn't feel safe um, because I didn't have glasses. 
Um, and yeah. then when yeah. like the meds that they were like pumping into me started to work, I was like, oh shit, they're going to find out I have all these knives and I'm going to get in trouble. I should have just thrown them away. Like when somebody wasn't looking, but instead I turned them in and then I got put on finger foods for like two or three weeks because I wasn't allowed to have ut utensils. And the finger foods are either a burger or chicken tenders and fries. So that was all I could eat for two weeks for two meals a day. For breakfast, I had hard boiled eggs. Like that was all I could eat to the point where I got gallstones. Oh my because God. I was eating all this like chicken chicken tenders and burgers every day for two yeah. meals a day. That is not a like, balanced diet. At all. Like I couldn't have salad because I couldn't have a fork. And because you were doing something like because you felt unsafe. Like you like you didn't fucking make a, I don't it doesn't sound like you made like a fucking chiv out of them. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I think there's like a there there's like a thin, but like there is a line between like hoarding like flimsy plastic uh, knives because you don't feel safe because you can't fucking see and like using them to harm yourself and others. Yeah. And like, yeah, I. Um, the first time I was in the psych ward, I didn't have, like, a backup pair of glasses. It was just contacts. Um, or something like that. And, uh, because I think my glasses were, like, broken in half. And, uh, like, I would, I would have to walk from my room down the hall, because the unit was just a hall, to the nurse's station and ask for my contacts. And even that, like you know, I wasn't blind long enough to feel unsafe like that, but, like, it's just, like, it's just hard to get around. Yeah. And then, like, that layer of, like, of real threat, like, because, like, you, you can, like, bump into someone, and then they take it the wrong way, and you just, but you can't see, and then, like, what, a, like, yeah, it, it's, like, it makes me think of, like, some, like, some, like, environments, it's, like, it, it's so crisis all the time, it's like hard to see the big picture where it's like, we're yeah. going to like make you eat food that will literally like give you health problems because you felt unsafe. Like that doesn't make any sense when you look at it, like outside of that, that like headspace that like they're clearly in, but it's like, it's so crisis mode that like, Oh, like this person through this behavior that like, we don't want them to do. So we're going to like, make them eat fucking chicken tenders for two weeks, like. Yeah. And there's also, there's a lot of, like, weird things that they do to keep people quote-unquote safe. Like, I was in two different units during COVID, and, like, both of them had this situation where no matter where you were, like, if your room had a bathroom or wherever you are, that you're washing your hands, the water does not get hot. Yes. At all. No. And at, on one unit, on the first unit where that was the case, I went up to like this director person when I found him in the hallway and I was like, hey, did you know that to kill germs, you actually need both soap and hot water? Yeah. And these sinks do not get hot. Yeah. And he was like, 
yeah, yeah. You know, he just kind of like nodded along with me because I'm just this crazy person and he's this serious guy in a suit, you know, and like he was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, and he walked away. Um, and it was just like never resolved. Um, yeah. Also, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I had two very wildly different experiences based on like where I was at with my psychosis within mm-hmm. like a month and a half period because I was 302'd and sent somewhere for 10 days. And then that whole time I was able to like speak clearly and be like advocating for myself. And I had like really good points where to not take the medication. My my main point was that, and this is kind of like an overarching thing that I didn't put in the notes and I probably should have, but like, I have this issue where I think that antipsychotics on the whole um, are, uh, I don't want to say like, a conspiracy but like it's it's eugenics because they found meds that work to like end or reduce psychosis and it just so happens apparently like i'm not a scientific mind by any means but it just so happens that all of the meds that can be given to someone who experiences psychosis um to reduce that um also come with severe first term like uh first trimester issues um for birth defects yeah so i've had psychiatrists advise me you know if you're in potentially procreative sexual relationships like you need to be on birth control because by the time you know you're pregnant you already have like a severely malformed child who may not be born with a heart or may not, you know, live past two breaths, like these, like, really, like, scary, you know, potential birth defects that are un- unnecessary, except that they tell you that the psycho- antipsychotic is necessary. And it just occurs to me that in 70 or 100 years time, they've never made an attempt to make these drugs not cause yeah. birth defects. And to me, that's just the same as in the 20s during the eugenics movement in the United States, where they were taking people who they believed to be feeble-minded or whatever um, and placing us in facilities until we lived out our uh, fertile period. Um, And then they moved forward to, you know, legalizing sterilization of quote-unquote feeble-minded individuals Um, And those laws are still on the books today and being used to, you know, do radical hysterectomies on um, refugees um, and women in prisons and stuff like that. So, you know, what I ended up saying to the to the doctors, just to go back to to that stay where I was where I managed to leave unmedicated, it was because I was saying to them, find me a drug that doesn't have these side effects and I'll take it. Yeah. And they couldn't. Yeah, that fight, like, that's a good reason to not want to take them. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, they couldn't. They actually couldn't argue with me, like, that time. They really couldn't. Like, they left They left me go. Like, I, I stayed level and fine. I slept. The only thing that happened with me with sleeping was 
they had a policy at that place that like some guy comes in and puts a, a cup of like a styrofoam cup of ice water on your bedside table at like 5 30 in the morning so okay. it's like still dark and i would wake up right when there's someone hovering over my bed yeah and i freaked out and i was like i like i got up and went to the nurse's station the first time it happened and i was like don't ever do this again like i cannot wake up with a strange man standing over me yeah um and they were like okay i guess that's valid <laughs> i was like i'll when i wake up i'll come get water i promise like i will <laughs> that's great like that is yeah that, that that is even like i've never heard of that we have a little water man like yeah what do you what even like i'm like i don't know like I also like that you have to like appease them. It's like I will come get water. Like yeah, <laughs> it's like like why do I have to drink water immediately at five thirty in the morning? Like I don't understand. And the thought is that you'll sleep through it, but like some people have trauma and can't sleep yeah. through someone walking in their bedroom. Like yeah, for <laughs> like. You know, and when some people have trauma, it's probably most of the people that you have on your unit. Well, that, that is, yeah, that reminds me of one of my, like, stays, like, my first one. It's just, like, how, like, just, like, the environment of the unit is not fucking trauma-informed, like, at all. <laughs> like Not at all. See, that brings up another really good point. Like, finish your thing, but then I, and then I have a okay. thing. Yeah, well, like, we had a fucking, like, they, um, I was there during, like, the inspection, or audit, or whatever, where they had to, like, you know, tour people through the unit, and, like, probably people went through case notes and stuff, um, and, you know, part of that process was also, like, doing a fire drill, and, like, so they do a fucking fire drill with the fucking fire alarm, in, like, a long hallway, like, full of people with, like, PTSD and other mental illnesses. And, like, I, like, we're in, like, and then, like, because we're in, like, a locked unit, like, for the fire drill, we don't even go outside. We just, like, met in the, in the dining area. And then there's, like, me, like, self, like, hitting myself and, like, other people, like, freaking out because it's, like, like this like loud horrible noise over and over you can't escape it and i like said to the, the doctor like what the fuck <laughs> like yeah yeah he was like i like i want them to, like like there's got to be another way <laughs> to do this that doesn't like trigger half the people on the floor every time we do it like yeah no totally like my thing with the like it not being trauma informed is like, so for, and this has happened at like several of my psych stays, but like most significantly, um, I was driving for on 48 hours of no sleep. And, um, there's a lot more to the story, but basically I run out of gas. Um, and the cop like does a sobriety test, which I fail because I'm falling over tired. They search me and they find like all these knives that are all like very pretty and like feminine, like knives. And then they find like, you know, I I was wearing a chest binder and I had one like around my neck and like between my chest and like, you know, I, I had, and they're all like rainbow metal and, and like designs. And then I had a lavender stun gun that was like 
three inches. And I guess the cop, like, got the impression that, like, this is a person who, like, feels in danger and is trying to protect themselves. And so, like, you know, takes me to the precinct. I freak out even more because I feel I'm in police custody and there's no witnesses and they can do whatever they want to me. And I'm a sexual abuse su survivor. Yeah. So, you know, I freak out further and then they send me to an ER where they strap me four points spread eagle to a bed for days. And I just don't understand why it's necessary to ever strap someone spread eagle to a bed. You could just as easily could you could just as easily strap someone with their arms at their sides, strap someone with their legs crossed and to one side. And I personally, as a sexual abuse survivor, would have felt vastly better yeah. had I not been put in that physical position against my will. And then, you know, they inject your arms and legs with all kinds of antipsychotics and anti-anxieties. I think there were four. I think it was like Paul Adivan, Giadon, and like one other thing. Um and for me, haloperidol, frequently called Haldol, yeah. um, it literally erases my memory the same as a drunk blackout where you're awake and functioning, but the recorder in your brain isn't on. Yeah. So, like, I would lose time. I would skip in and out of time. I had um, one, one, one situation where I in the middle of the night, you know, went to the ER and then they like, you know, shot me up with whatever. And they shipped me to a unit in Philly because there weren't any local units available. And it was a dual diagnostic unit. So a lot of the people in that unit were like talking about how, you know, they had just come from Kensington and had been doing, you know, drugs. opioids and different drugs like that. And, you know, some of them had like, uh, stick and poke gang tattoos from various gangs you know and here i am like in a co-ed unit you know because i saw my rapist and like that's why i had been triggered into psychosis and so like you know i woke up after eight days of being there i was suddenly aware of myself and my surroundings um and i was in the bed in the bed in a bedroom i wake up I have no idea. I've been there for eight days. I think it's the next day after I was at the hospital. Um, but on my wall are three different colors of paint that have been peeled away. And I was like, wow, this is a really shitty psych unit. Um, and then I look and I find the paint chips under my fingernails. That, that's so fucking scary. Like all of that is so to like not even like Cause like that blackout, like like the like the, like realizing that you were like blacked out is like is horrifying. And for it to be eight days when I'm in a co-ed unit with yeah. like like self-identified gang members, like I have no idea what happened to myself and my body yeah. in the last eight days. I have no no idea at all. Like I remember, like after that, my mom my mom came to visit. And I was, like, in the cafeteria with my mom just, like, sobbing and begging her to take me out of there. And she was like, I literally can't. 
she was like, even if I like, even if that was the main thing that I wanted to do and I was like desperate to achieve that, which I'm not necessarily because you need help, but like, I, I literally can't. Yeah. I like, I, it's so infuriating and like, and what's infuriating is that like these things that you're like describing, like to some extent are like procedure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The, the procedure is not remotely trauma informed. I mean, I went to that unit and begged them to get me off of the co-ed unit and they had non-co-ed units at that facility and they just didn't transfer me. Like, yeah, the neglect is so real. And like, yeah, it, mm, it's so frustrating. I don't even know what else to say other than. Yeah. It's so fucking scary and frustrating. And like, like, this is really the best we can do <laughs> is like strap someone to a bed in like a like very vulnerable position like someone with like sexual like it's just like i don't even like like you couldn't design it this bad if you were trying to design it as punishment yeah exactly like for real like in nightmare in elm street 3 that it takes place in a psych unit and they and when someone's acting out they send them the fucking solitary confinement. I'm like, what is this? And like, that I don't is know. what happens. Like, That's what happened on my unit. Like, if somebody was acting out, they would put them in a room by themselves, observed yeah. by the nurses' station, um, with a video camera in the corner. When I was in that room, I took the icing off my chocolate cake and stood on a chair and put it over the camera. <laughs> <laughs> and rules. then, and then when they. When they came in and cleaned it the next the next day, I was still there. I took my nicotine patch and put it over the camera lens. <laughs> yeah, well, like of course you like. Because like fuck you, that's why. Yeah, <laughs> like fuck you, and also like this, like, like, like you're in a situation where you need care, and instead you get isolation. <laughs> is like, it's so cruel. And it like yeah. it is just about it seems like more about the piece of the of the unit rather than like making sure that you have like a productive like safe experience. Because um, like yeah. the ba- like the fucking baseline of like recovering like is to like the first thing you need to do is like to feel safe and like. If you're locked in a room or like you wake up and don't even like be like and don't even know that you've been somewhere for a whole week and we're in this like compromising position, like it's like how would I feel like how am I supposed to get better <laughs> when like yeah you're no, so actively creating an environment that is the one this time I was there for a month, they informed me that I was going to go on Haldol like not as a rescue med but as a like as my main antipsychotic and i was going to take it in like shots instead of like like yeah like drinkable shots instead uh, of like injectable shots um and i went around jello shot 
Yeah. And I, uh, I went around to the friends that I had made and I was like, look, I'm not going to know what's going on or I'm not going to remember what had happened um, for at least three days when they give me this medication. So can you look out for me? And like, they were like, yeah, like I'll, I'll watch out for you. <laughs> like, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen. And like, it's just because like, you can't, you can't convince the, them not to give you the medication that you know is going to take your memory away. Like I tried that and I was like, this is what it does to me. Like, you can't put me on this. Like, I don't know that that's what it does to everyone, but that's what it does to me. And like, I can't be walking around here, not making memories. Like that's terrifying. Yeah. And they were just like, Nope, you're going on it. So I was like, my best bet is to get, you know, my friends to support me. And they, they, they did. Yeah, I don't think taking away someone's autonomy is really conducive to healing. Yeah, like, how could it be? And it's like, these are such simple things. Like, is it such a novel idea that, like, not taking away someone's autonomy, you know? But, like, you listen to, like, I listen to, like, podcasts about, like, the eugenic, the American eugenics movement. And, and like, that was, that was just the way it was like they had a witch trial basically and they accused you of being feeble-minded and you got sent away and you were just away for 20 30 years yeah you know um yeah yeah that's horrifying but you just touched on something you touched on this before the glasses thing too is like if there is like a silver lining or like a good part Part of my experiences it is like the like solidarity solidarity with like the other people like absolutely peers. like oh absolutely my, like i remember like i thought about this before in the show but like my first hospitalization um like someone made this like gross like anti-trans joke that was like super triggering to me and like and the, like and it was in front of staff and staff didn't like say or do anything and like me and the other trans person in the unit at the time like we like got together and made like a big deal about it like in front of everyone and uh and after we like my friend like wrote like a two-page thing and read it in front of like the whole unit and and then the the staff who like watched that that happen it was like Sadie, come here, and uh, and then at the same time, like w- like this like nineteen year old dude who like who like the skateboard <laughs> was like Sadie, come here, like can I talk to you? And I went with him instead because like I knew he would have my back more than the staff would. Yeah, totally. Yeah, in my stay, the one in which I was there for ten days and left without meds they uh, they had posted on the wall um this was a saint luke's facility and they had the patient bill of rights posted on the wall and it was also in like this little folder that we got and i attempted to create a union hell yeah (laughs) like i drafted like articles (laughs) yeah i remember telling me about that on loose leaf paper with pen, I like, according to the Bill of Rights of patients, attempted to draft articles of a union of of patients. 
and I like we were gonna like get our demands met and like you know I I went to like all the different patients and like talked to them privately and the mistake I made was I had been there for for like almost 10 days and I was talking to this patient who was like very rarely lucid and like spent most of their time in their room laying like straight as a board on the bed with the door open like shouting about how this was you know like and false imprisonment and like all this different stuff about like the way the government and the state is like trying to take away our power and like just like generally like had like they were like every every time they would freak out they would get the like the doctors would rush in and like shoot them up with Haldol probably but every once in a while they would walk into the common room and talk totally normally for like five minutes before going back to their room and then like shouting these scene these things so when they were like totally lucid they came in and i was talking to them about like the union thing but there was a staff member like close enough to hear and within like six hours i was being discharged because yeah of course because like like i like i said it's like about like the the status quo about like keeping things peaceful not about you know the 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 treatment of and like the experience of the people who are getting treatment like because i don't i don't know if i worked somewhere like that and the patients were fucking unionizing like i'd be like fuck you yeah. <laughs> like because it's like i want them to have like like this is like this super like vulnerable experience super disempowering and like if there is a platform for the people I'm supposed to be treating to like express what would actually be more helpful or feel more safe or whatever. Like that, that's a, that's great. Like why, like you, you should want people to be able to like voice their needs in a collective way. Like I, hmm. yeah, I think that's awesome that you fucking did that. <laughs> Yeah, it was and, fun. and like the fact that you got discharged kind of makes it more badass, even though it's also very frustrating. Um, yeah. Well, that's that's how you get out. It's like I need to get out of here. I need let, let me start to build a union, and then and then and then uh, accidentally say something yeah. about it in front of staff. Yes. <laughs> So, pro tip, if you need to get out of a psych facility, form a union. <laughs> I guess it's the same as, like, if you want to get out of your job. Exactly. Like, form a union, get fired. <laughs> if you want to get fired, just, like, go in a common area and be like, so what do you guys think about unions? <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, just I mean, yeah, the 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 relationships with the other people there is like so great. Like I remember like one day I found like my notebook from my first hospitalization and there were just so many quotes in there from like my like psych ward or psych unit friends. And yeah. like they were just so funny. It's like the one, the only one I can remember right now is I've dated four mats and each one was progressively worse. 
<laughs> That's great. That's really great. I feel like by three, I would have stopped. I don't know if I would have gone to four. Yeah, personally. well, you know. I had had three bad mats. Yeah. <laughs> I like, just like, I don't know. Like, yeah, it is like so nice to just have people who get it. And like, we're usually all pretty funny. <laughs> and like, it, and just like the experience of being there is surreal. Um, yeah. I've, ta- I've probably talked about this before, and I even wrote about this. Like, uh, my most recent hospitalization, um, I was in the crisis center for 28 hours because they couldn't place me because I was trans. I mean, they eventually placed me, but it was a long 28 hours. I found a, when I talk about like a lack of being trauma informed. When I was in the crisis center, the custodian had to come and fix something and then left a box cutter. Oh, my God. In the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom and found a box cutter. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is maybe the worst thing I've ever heard about a psych unit. It's so, and like, and like, like, it's like, luckily... Like, that was, like, the begin- that was, like, within, like, my, like, luckily, quote-unquote, like, that was within maybe my, like, first two or three hours in there, and, like, you know, I was voluntary, so, like, you know, I, 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 like, you know, I had my thoughts and then, like, told staff uh, without doing anything, and it's, like, you know, I was in that I was in that unit in in the like the the crisis center, just in a chair, like not not nowhere to like sleep, but a chair setting up. Uh, like if I found that like the next day, like after I was twenty four hours in there, like it probably would have ended differently. And like that is, or if someone else found it, like yeah, who knows what could have happened. Um. Like, if I found it in a different state or someone else found it. And, yeah, I was in that in that emergency room for so long that we I watched The Nutty Professor twice. Oh, my God. Because they just played, they just had BET on the whole time. And, and it, like, they just played The Nutty Professor again the same next day at the same time. So, like, that's how long I was there. And, but, like, well, like I got into the unit eventually and like and they made us put like they this unit definitely saw some shit like they made me wear like change and like wear paper scrubs and like had to wash all my clothes before i could wear them like as a bed bug precaution and i felt so horrible i was so tired that the paper scrubs like hold in all your body heat so you're just like a sweaty mess and then, like, this, like, cute woman flirted with me, and I was like, all right, I feel so much better now. <laughs> Just yeah. because, because, like, and it was, like, so cute because, like, well, she was, like, um, I think I've told the whole story on here before, but, like, it was, like, so fucking blatant, but also, like, was eventually comforting. Like, I showed her my, my, my memorial tramp stamp, and she's like, so the person who died, was that, like, your friend or, like, your girlfriend? <laughs> and I was like, just a friend, and, and but like you know, 
I date girls, <laughs> like date women though. And and then at some point she was like, and I like, and she only gets away with this because she was cute. She was like, my ideal partner has tits and would have tits and a dick. And I was like, are you fucking for real right now? <laughs> and I was like, we're out there. And she's like, not in Philly. I'm like, oh, I can assure you we're out here. And she's like, I want, and she was like, I want to live in your world. <laughs> but, but then she was telling me how she went uh, to this bar in Philly that I used to walk to on the way to work in like Northern Liberties. Um, like she went there for her like 33rd or 31st or something birthday. And, uh, she was saying how there was this like old dude there who like, and then she like put her hand on my shoulder and she was like, he did this and was like, you belong here. And then she did that. And I was like, oh my God, that was very cute. And then she left the program. Aww. Which was great because I couldn't act on any, <laughs> yeah. any feelings that were going on after that interaction. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's just like being like, you know, that being in that waiting room for that long, like that is enough to make me want to never go back. Yeah. Even in crisis. But to like have that experience and then like go once I got in actually got into treatment like have to be welcomed by other people was great and then you know they also they well like I already said they they had trouble placing me because I'm a trans woman and because it it's like they'll only put you in like like they won't put you in a room with anyone well it's like the first time I went they asked if I would bunk with a man and I was like absolutely fucking not and so it's like that would be okay for them, but I would not do that. And so it, they took forever place me because like no place wanted to give up two beds for one person. And eventually I got a spot. And then and then when I got a spot, I made friends with this old lady. She always been like, I want a room with you. Like, why can't you be my roommate? I'm like, can you please go like tell the C- CRC that and be like, like, I wish they, like, I don't know that, like, I don't, if there was some way to, like, not make us yeah. fucking screwed over. And it's like, I get here and the people, they're probably, like, trying to protect for me or whatever are like, oh, I would love to room with you. <laughs> like, yeah. <sighs> yeah, I know. I, I, being trans, I also almost always have my own room. Um, and, well, as long as I go with St. Luke's because they know I'm non-binary. It's, like, in my chart. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, they they just always, like, give me my own room. Um, one time I used the other bed to barricade the door. Um, that did not end well. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I did all kinds of ridiculous things. Like you were talking about the terrible scrubs, the paper scrubs, the, yeah. the, the staff called them terrible scrubs because you can tear them and also they're fucking terrible. <laughs> I did think and, about making a crop top. <laughs> yeah. So I, when I was in 
the ER for like two and a half days, there was some period of time in which I wasn't actually strapped to the bed. Um, I was just like stuck in this room, this like observation room. And they kept giving me all these like, like bigger size, terrible scrubs to the point where I had like layers of them. And I took off one or two of the shirts and just like instinctively, because like my background is in textile art, yeah. I just like instinctively began like tearing it into like even strips. And without even realizing what I'm doing, by the time I was done, I had just like subconsciously braided them into rope and like spliced a line. Like splicing a line is where you like add more rope to a rope. Yeah. So like I um made like a three foot piece of rope that was like like the size of a half dollar in diameter um and when i had it in my hands and realized what it was i immediately stood up like upon finishing it just like picture this i immediately stood up and like knocked on the door to be let out of the room and like went over to whoever was watching me and was like i'm not allowed to have rope and then handed it to them and turned around and walked back Oh my god. <laughs> I was just not what they were prepared to deal with. Fucking for real. I had like a very like a vaguely similar experience where like I I was not having a good time and it was covid. So I was collecting mass and like made a longer string out of the mass strings. Yep. Yep. And uh and it was really hard to be used for anything. Uh not that I tried or anything. I tried. But anyway, I, I, I turned it in just like, yeah, let me show you, show you something because I don't know. I don't know eventually like I felt better and was like willing to tell on myself and but like <laughs> it is like it is something when like the psych ward make, or the psych unit makes a new rule because you were there right. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> because it's well like because they changed the rule that like you have like it's like to get a new mask you have to like throw out the old one in front of them right uh and like my friend like they said that policy and they're like why the f- my all my friends are like why the fuck do we have to do that that's so fucking annoying and i was like i'll tell you later sorry <laughs> 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 my b <laughs> yeah i think that will mostly only apply to me cuz like that's like such a that's so annoying for everyone involved but yeah we were making hair ties out of the strands we didn't we never tied them all together but we would take them <laughs> off and make them hair ties and then we would get in trouble for having them and i was like that's not fair because some patients have hair ties mm. and like real hair ties yeah. and they were like we don't care you can't destroy the masks and make them into bands <laughs> <laughs> yep and like you know how all the masks have the nose bridge pulled out of them Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, wire. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, that sounds like a lot of our experiences. Do you have any other like experience like of what the psych ward is like before we get to alternatives? No, I mean, I guess I failed to mention that there's a lot of like art therapy, um, which as someone who's identified as an artist for most of their life, like, boo. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I can say. (laughs) Honestly, I hate it. I hate art therapy. (laughs) I think it's so dumb. Maybe it's not for other people, but being provided with like elementary age level art supplies and construction paper is not the way for me to express myself through art. Well, it's like we would do collages and it's like, Oh, we're not allowed to have scissors. (laughs) Yeah. So you're tearing out this, like the stuff out of the magazines by hand, like, yeah. And it's just gonna look like shit. Yeah. Um, like what does actual, like what actual, like, treatment looks like is, is is a good point um where it's like a lot of it what you've talked about already is 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 medicating is like a big part of it and but yeah you know they'll be programming at, at these places too and i've had such just in three hospitalizations like such diverse experiences my first one i went and like I like just quit my job, so I still had private insurance from my full time job, and like that place was so nice, and they had like two group therapy sessions, like real ass fucking therapy, like um a day and like during the week, and then there I think there'd still be one during the weekends too, and like. That, I thought that was so awesome. And, like, sometimes it was, like, shit, like, art therapy. But, like, also, like, one, someone in my unit got in trouble for, like, trauma, like, saying, like, a graphic trauma in group. And, like, we are all kind of mad because it's, like, well, where uh, can we even talk about? Like, I, we get the trigger that, thing. That was ex- exactly what I was going to bring up next. So go on. Yeah, it's like we get that this is trigger. Like we get, like we trust me, we understand that risk. But it's like if we can't talk about it here, like where else can we talk about it? So like we advocated to have like a trauma group, um, which was amazing. And then like people who didn't want to do trauma group uh, did art therapy. Um, but it's like my second. So my first day, I was with mostly young adults, mostly with teens. And I was, when I was 29. And then after the next one, I was in the geriatric unit. So it's mostly with old people. And so like the therapy there was like, it was like, like there was a occupational therapist there. And like, yeah, it was like some art therapy stuff. It was like fucking bingo. It was like, like coping skills 101 and i was like this is fucking nothing <laughs> like this does nothing for me <laughs> like bingo yeah. bingo does not like it's cool i got i got a free journal that's great but like because <laughs> yeah. i because i won bingo but like you know and we play long enough that everyone got to win but and then like the the second or the third one like 
I don't know. I think I only went to one, like two group therapies, and like the one we just we played Sudoku together. Yeah. To practice problem solving or something, like I like I don't know. It, yeah, that's my experience with like the actual. Pro- and then also the weekends were always terrible because they just would be like there would be nothing to do. Like, right. And right. It was, like my my the private insurance um unit like they had two like smart tvs with like connected to the internet so we had people's like youtube like hulu we just like every streaming service like (laughs) but like on the weekends you could just fucking do a movie marathon but like other places most other places i've been to it's like jerry springer marathon instead and that's way worse right Death. Yeah, for me it was Family Guy was what everybody wanted to watch, and I was like, Ugh. <laughs> oh no, yeah. oh no. But yeah, like on the subject of um, trauma, that was actually something that like was a con- continuous concern for me. Where I was like, you know, if I'm here because of the trauma, mm-hmm. and I can't talk about the trauma because it'll trigger other people the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> exactly. Like, and like, I, I was, yeah, like I was in a, um, between the 10 days and the month, there was like six days before I ended up back in for a month. But in the first day that I was out of the, uh, first facility, I was supposed to be doing an intensive outpatient over zoom um, and I got there and in the morning and like logged in or whatever. And one of the first things they said was like, we can't discuss trauma. Um, and so I waited until we were in the group with everyone. And then I rage quit um, and like, like told them off on the, on the chat and left and just like packed up my stuff and like took a walk and Yeah. Because I was just like, what the fuck is this for? Like, I'm acutely re-traumatized because of my recent, like, being strapped to the bed and need to talk about it. And because I was getting that therapy, I couldn't see my main therapist who I'd been seeing for years because insurance wouldn't cover both. So I was, like, put at the, in this place where... I couldn't go see my actual therapist to talk about the trauma one-on-one and I'm in this group where I'm not allowed to talk about the trauma. So I was just like, fuck this. And I quit. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. To stay with your therapist where you are allowed to talk about your trauma. It seems like the better option Then, like, yeah, it is like, that is such like a coward's way out. Like, Yes, like trauma. Someone processing their trauma in a group setting can trigger someone else, but like, like that that that's a real thing. But like, there is a lot. There is so much value in like giving us space to process this stuff. To and like one of the reasons, like trauma group in the in the psych unit was so good was just like to have the space to like share what happened to you and then have people like validate or like 
you know, like you say your anxieties about it, and they're like, what the fuck are you even talking Like, we could just support each other. And like that, and like we've been saying is like that support from like your peers is like so meaningful. And like, yes, there is, there is risk, but it's like that risk can be mitigated by mod, like by mediation and moderation. And like, and I think part of it is like, like staffing concerns because it's like, oh, if you have, um, you know, it's like she did, like, so we're going to do trauma therapy in this room and then art therapy in the other room. And, like, I'm going to balance between rooms. Or, like, she got, she had someone, like, her supervisor come in and do it. Um, but it's, like, some places you can't, like, you don't have the staff to split the group like that. Or if, like, someone gets triggered, um, like, you should have, like, a training staff member available to like take that person out of the space and help them calm down um but it's like you can't do that when you're just one person um and like yeah it is just trying to create as little problems as possible rather than doing something that like can be really healing and powerful people in like who are like in or just got out of like really terrible situations like yeah, it's like, well, like I, it's like, and also, like, in the hospital, it's like, well, I literally, like, can't leave when I want to, and I need to talk about this thing, like, what do you want me to do? And, like, you don't have, like, I've never had, like, individual, like, sometimes, like, the, like, the head nurse will check on you, and, like, whatever, but, like, it's not therapy, like, you don't have that space, really, to talk a lot about your, like, Right stuff, and like that's a part of the process, and like you can really like internalize that there isn't like there isn't room for your pain in the fucking hospital. Where the fuck is there room for your pain? Like, yeah, no, totally. And I mean, I guess that kind of dovetails nicely into the last question, which is about uh, potential alternatives, and like. I've thought a lot about this and I, I honestly haven't come up with a good yeah. like alternative. I mean, when I've thought about it, I've thought about like, you know, what if I could just wait out the psychosis? Like I have this theory that like, yes, psychosis, you know, comes on in an acute manner, but like the idea that it only goes away with, antipsychotic injections like i kind of think that it would wear itself out over time if you gave it that time but you jump to the injections and this four point restraints and all that you know um and not just like the crime but like the like the process of making yourself like feel like safe because like mental like like madness we could say um like, comes from and is, like, triggered by, like, environments. Right. Totally. So, right. So, like, yeah. my my first episode of Psychosis came right out of an episode of hypervigilance from yeah. from my PTSD, from, from what happened to me. And, you know, um, I very much was, like, 
all I need is a place where I feel safe to fall asleep because I was experiencing like, um, uh, I can't remember the word for it, but like the fear of falling asleep and like, because I was like, you know, I'm vulnerable if I'm asleep. So, you know, if I'm, I was like, I, I spent several days like falling asleep, sitting up on my couch with my boots laced, looking at the front door and there was an ax behind the front door, you know, like that was where I was at, like after I got my PFA against my abuser. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's what led to the mania is not being able to sleep because I was afraid of being asleep. So like if someone could have made me feel safe. Yes. In the first place, I, I wouldn't have necessarily gone into that first episode of mania. Exactly. Like it's that simple. It's like. And, again, it's, like, all about just, like, maintaining the peace, maintaining the status quo. It's, like, cool, we could create a, a safe, supportive environment, or we can just, like, tie someone up in a vulnerable position and then yeah. shoot, fill them up with drugs. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a fucking shortcut. And, like, it makes sense because, like, you know, it does. It's not a great experience to be a patient in a hospital, but it also doesn't seem like a great experience to work in a hospital either. And yeah. like, you're strapped for resources. You can often be treated like shit. Like, um, it makes sense that that these environments do take these shortcuts, but like, it they're harmful. Like, I like I understand. The environment yeah. that creates these environments but like like the shortcuts just result in more traumatic experiences it seems like from just our conversation right now totally but yeah i mean i i i feel like that's what's hard is that like the fact that the only thing we've ever had for this is Psych units, yeah, um, or worse, and, and, and worse things. Yeah, um, it's hard to properly imagine like what could be done instead. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, like a residential treatment facility in the woods where you could go outside and spend time with nature and like do things like that. Like, obviously, like that would be great, but like that takes money and you yeah. want to have less patients and then where do all the excess patients go and it's just like there's no doesn't seem to be any way to do it equitably not under capitalism which is the problem exactly <laughs> exactly which is always the problem and we're right back to where we started <laughs> <laughs> exactly well it's like you know like so yeah i don't know like what alternatives there realistically could be because like you know the fact of the matter is that they view it as necessary to at times force people to take medication and if you don't have a carceral system in place you can't force people to take medication yeah um and so you know it's kind of like built wrong the whole system um because it ultimately, like, is not built on the 
freedom and autonomy of individuals experiencing madness. Yeah. Like that's not yeah. taken into consideration at all, really. Um, no. We're, you know, menaces to society. I mean, I was just writing in my journal about um, how when I first experienced my first episode of psychosis, um, the people I was living with at the time reacted hyper negatively and started telling people that I was dangerous when I was at, at best or at worst, I, you know, I was dangerous to myself. Like I was not dangerous to anyone, but Jack, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I lost a lot of friends, you know, uh, an entire roller derby team worth of friends because of what was said about me when I was experiencing psychosis. Because you just get othered and and you just get, you know, like now you're, now you're this dangerous, crazy person. um, And you're not seen as a full person like you were prior. Yeah. Everyone's all about mental health awareness until they become aware of your mental health. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> so I, I, the disposability piece of it all is, is very upsetting to me. And yeah. Yeah. Because all of these people would have said that they were mental health advocates and for stopping the stigma. And, yeah. you know, many of them were on antidepressants themselves, but you know, an antidepressant is a lot more acceptable than an antipsychotic. Yeah. And being depressed is is easier for people to digest than someone in psychosis. Yeah. It's just fucking heartbreaking. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I was like, oh, I I wonder if there are, like, alternatives. And I, I did poke around some stuff, and it seems like there is stuff that it's like, yeah, we just try to make people feel safe. And, like, you're not forced to be there. Like, I haven't looked like, I'm not an expert on this. I just read some, I just skimmed some web pages. And, like, yeah. you know, there's, and this is also like can be hard to pull off in under capitalism is like, you know, I experienced a really upsetting event that eventually I ended up in the cycle for two weeks, but I was out of the psych ward for two weeks prior to that. And, like, you know, I was basically like on a like an unofficial suicide watch where I just had like my partner at the time basically moved in like temporarily. And when she was at work, I had friends come in and just watch movies with me or whatever, play Tetris or whatever, um, just so I wasn't alone. And like, you know, I went to the hospital. So like that was like that that didn't. That wasn't like a solution, but it, you know, it kept me alive for two weeks before I was yeah. like ready to go to the hospital. Um, right. And I think, go ahead. And that's just like a hard thing to pull off. It's right. like, right. if I was in like crisis again after my experiences, I would much rather at least like try to find an outpatient solution. Um, yeah. But it's like that can be so hard to pull off, especially in a world that is like, you know, 
the mental health awareness or advocacy only goes so far. I mean, right. like you, people still don't really want to like look at it or look at you when you're experiencing crisis. So it's like we like, and then also like, you know, people don't want to look at it because like they're fucking tired and they got their own shit going on. Like they're reasonable reasons too, not just discomfort, which I don't think is super like reasonable, but yeah, it's just hard because like they're like, under the way things are, there's just, like, not a solution that, like... Or it seems like there are some, but the solutions that, like, really... That that prioritize are, like, safety and comfort and actual healing rather than let's just warehouse you for, like, X amount of days and change up your meds. Like, it's just not prioritized. Yeah. Yeah, and I do think, like... When it is something like severe depression, suicidal ideation, it can be, you know, reasonable to call on your support system and have them stay with you and stuff like that. But with psychosis, like, I hope to never put my loved ones through it again, because though... Like, yes, they were there for me. The the people who didn't abandon me, you know, the people, not the people from my team, but like the people who really stuck it out with me, you know, my one friend had me over their place, you know, and they've got teenage kids. They're my God kids. And like, you know, I was wilded out, like yeah. really out of control. You know what I mean? Um, not sleeping and like they did every made me tease, made me tinctures, made me all kinds of things to try and get me to try and like go to sleep. Um, and it was really, really difficult for them. And like, I just, and not to mention all I've put my mother through and my sibling, like, you know, I've, I've really not that it's like I was choosing to put them through something, but by not being medicated, you know, I entered psychosis and, you know, uh, it just got to be to a place where like, you know, I'm pretty, pretty like seriously anti-psychiatry at this point, but I basically just take my meds because they keep me from touching the clinical psychiatric model, um, in terms of incarceration in the clinical psychiatric model. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's both like, I don't want to ever have to go to a unit again. And also I don't want to ever put my family through the two, three weeks leading up to me going into a unit again. Yeah. Um, we need a secret third thing. Yeah. Like, cause yeah. I think there is like a lot of value in just like having, like having somewhere else to go that is like quiet. And then, you know, one of the things that sucks about being, like mentally as like yeah like the the experience like this like what is it like for the people that like are around you and like and like depending on your state like you, that can be anxiety provoking if, if you can have those thoughts and yeah there just like is like and to also be around people who are like trained and like are like professional and know that like the way you're like behaving towards them isn't personal. You're just like in pain right. and need help. Like totally, I that's mean, a lot harder to navigate in a personal relationship. 
So it's like to have like a place to go with professionals is like something with like a lot of potential value that that value is not realized in its current state. Yeah. And I mean, I'll probably spend much of the rest of my life regretting things that I said or did while I was experiencing psychosis. And that's just what I remember. Yeah. Which isn't most of it. You know, like I've said horrible things to my mother, you know, like really terrible, evil, mean things. And, you know, I like threatened my father's life. Like it, like not credibly, like I was never intending to do anything, but like it seemed credible at the time. And like, just like these horrifying things, you know, that like I can't not have done. Yeah. Yeah. But you did in like really yeah. absurd sinful situations. Like Right. Yeah. So it'd be nice to like have those experiences with someone who's not like your family. Right. Right. You know, like I, I remember thinking like it would be cool if like me or someone I knew had like a cabin up in the Poconos and we could just go you know, not like disconnect from the internet and, you know, watch VHS tapes or something like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, (laughs) do you have any other (laughs) thoughts that you would like to share? Uh, No, I, I think, I think we're pretty good. <laughs> I think we're pretty good too. All right. So I wrap up with gratitude. I say two. You only have to say one. I say two because first and foremost, I want to thank you for coming on. Like, I feel like your perspective was super valuable, very vulnerable topic. And you shared like very vulnerable details that like you didn't have to, but like that inform like really important perspective. And definitely, like, filled in gaps in my own knowledge and experience. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, And then I'm otherwise grateful for my cat, Honeybee. I'm just... Oh, yeah. I was going to mention when Honeybee first came on the screen, I was going to be like, ah, Honeybee. But I was like, nah, I'll let Sadie mention her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she was on my chest for a little bit. But she moved through her bed and is now cleaning her tail. Aw. Well, I'm both grateful for you hosting this show and, like, us doing it. And I'm really grateful for my support system who have been there for me through my episodes. Definitely would not good one. be here. Them. That's a good one. I'll, I'll ditto that. Yeah. Cool. So if you want to follow, let's see if I can keep my podcast straight, straight this time because I keep that <laughs> one up. Um, if you want to follow... Clown Hospital on Instagram. It is Clown Hospital Pod. If you want to follow Clown Hospital, or if you want to email Clown Hospital, you email Clown Hospital at clownhospitalpod at gmail.com. Maybe you can share your own psych ward experiences. Maybe you can share what else you what you know about alternatives or what your ideas for alternatives are. Have you organized the patients at a psych care <laughs> facility? I would love to hear about it. That will get you to come on immediately. No questions asked. So you can send that email to clownhospitalpod at gmail.com. And with that, we say 
this is dedicated to those we love who did not make it or may be detained in a unit right now and having a horrible time. Uh, we we fight for their honor. We fight for a better way for this world to be because it's uh, fucking unacceptable and peace. Hell yeah.